0: Um, here I am again with that emphasis on the covenant, and I hope that, um, that you will begin to see that one of the greatest benefits we have as a body of Christ is each other. Uh, we are not in this alone, and I, I pray that you will see that as we go through this. The church and the home and covenant with one another. Several years ago, George Bonnet did research, he's been doing research for years on just why the church is not having a greater impact on the culture than it is. It's one of his big concerns. And so he just took 13-year-olds, raised in the church. He interviewed 3,000 of them, as it says, a bunch of them. I think it was 3,000 13-year-olds. And he got some interesting statistics. Ninety-three percent of them said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Thirty-five five percent could affirm what it was that they believed, but only four percent of those beliefs was Orthodox. Here's what I mean by that. Only 4% of those kids raised in the church would say things like, there's only one way to heaven, to God, and that's through Christ Jesus. Every word of Scripture is true. Um, the, Jesus really did rise from the dead, and yes, He was truly born of a virgin. Uh, they doubted pretty much you know, everything except for this 4%. The study, years later, you're seeing things like 75% of kids are leaving the church, we don't have a really great track record as far as evangelical Christianity. In fact, Robbie Rayburn's father wrote an amazing, he's not, she's not in here right now, but he, if you know, the, know him when he's in and out, whatever, father, about 20 years ago, wrote a wonderful paper called Covenantal Succession about the problem of the church really not believing the promise that we have with their kids and expecting great things from them at a very early age. And as a result of that, we were literally, this is a quote from from uh, Robbie's father's paper. <laughs> I don't have it up here on the board, but he said this. He said, we are suffering from literally hemorrhaging our kids out into the culture. And I thought that was such a, an interesting picture of the church just letting them go uh, you know, out into the world when the world has such a powerful influence. But God has given us a plan to help us ward against that, to stand against the enemy, and that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> His research summary, you know, Barna said, if we're going to make an impact on the world, he said, we, we can't miss, you know, the the trees for the forest. We've got to look at what's really happening here and realize that investing in people's lives when they're very young is important. And uh, the scripture that he uses, Malachi 4.6, Luke 1.17, at the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, last word spoken, first word spoken after 400 years of silence is the prophecy that will be John the Baptist's words that the hearts of the fathers need to turn to the children. A lot of times when we think John the Baptist, we think repentance, 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 but nothing will bring you to repentance. Like having before your mind continually, what are the children hearing? What are the children seeing? What are, what are the children learning? As a father, there's a lot of decisions you will make that will change when your first thought is, what are my kids seeing? What are they learning from this? What are they hearing from this? And the same thing with moms. And so they're, the, the call to the church, I feel like you know, to prepare the way for Jesus, he said, you got to think about the kids. I feel that way about him coming back again. There's a great call to the church today. Are we really believing that there's nothing more important on earth for us to do and that we will not just impact our own personal lives in the church, but the world when we teach the truth to the next generation? How do we do it? Obviously, it hadn't been working in the church. Well, it's a combined plan. It has to work home and church. Can we effectively implement this Deuteronomy 6 plan? It was the plan that God gave His people. They were about to go into pagan land, duh, where we live today, to keep this thing moving. What was the plan? It says this, These words I've commanded today will be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. When you sit in your house, walk by the way, lie down. When you rise... Uh you know, it's like, oh, when I'm walking on the way, well, you know. I love a book that we do not carry in our bookstore because theologically it really stinks. But um, it's a good old Armenian Southern Baptist who's taken the idea of, you know what? If the church and the home would work together in this, we might just accomplish something. They don't have a very biblical view of, of um, redemptive story teaching of the Scripture. But... They put a whole plan together. They do tours all over the country. And the whole basis is, how do we involve the church, the, the home more in the church, and the church more in the home, so that we're really being consistent and intentional in how we train our children. And he has taken, in the in the Think Orange book, and Think Orange is, is he gets orange from the, the the church is the light of the truth. It's the bright light that's showing us the light that is Christ of the truth. And then the family is the warming, nurturing by the fire. So they're red, red and yellow light makes orange. That's how he gets the orange thing. It, like I said, he's so creative in the way he presents it. It's one of my favorite books, but he says, how do we practically flesh that out? And it, and he's got four things there. When you sit in your house is mealtimes. Are you having mealtime discussions? About the things of God, it's the most obvious time. Instead of sitting in front of the TV or you eating what you want, then you eating where you're being very intentional about. It. We're going to sit down and one night a week, or three nights a week, or two nights a week, while we eat, we're going to look at the Word of God. Uh, I actually know a family in Virginia that a pastor is he has six children under eight, and they are reading through the Bible. And I was there when they were in the middle of Leviticus, and I thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? I mean, not the Bible like Jesus' storybook Bible. I'm talking the Bible. And um, those kids were so engaged. They've been doing it from infancy. And we were in Leviticus that he read. And then God said, No, we'll do that tomorrow night. And they screamed out, No, no! What? What? All right. Kids could be interested in the actual reading of the Word? Yeah, you know, when we try to dumb it down for mine, I'm not so sure we need to quite as much. But this is a great book we have out there on the table. It's Dinner Table Devotionals by Nancy Guthrie. He's a great theologian in the PCA, and you're going to get some good teaching. But to be intentional at mealtime. And so hold one another accountable. Maybe start something within your own church. And you know, when you send out an email, said, remember tonight's mealtime. time for devotions. Everybody have a meal together. Find out when it's going to be or plan Sunday meal to do that. Maybe even have a class where you have a, where a family shows what they do around the meal table to have these discussions. I have a family full of extroverts and we used to, when I, we have our mealtime discussions, we actually had to have six numbers in a bowl and you drew a number to which, when you got to speak. Because everybody was always interrupting each other. And so, but they remember that. They also remember that mealtime is a good time to, to sit. You see it as a biblical idea, but when you sit in your house, teach. Find a time you're teaching. Walk by the way. We don't walk, but we drive. What are you doing in your car? Letting them play with their thing, putting a movie on it, or just, you know, hanging out or throwing them a coloring Or do you have something that's very intentional? Every time you get in your car, you have a list of questions, or you put in what I call mommy-daddy tape. Where that's a, that's what we used to call them because they were actually cassette tapes. But a uh, um, mommy-daddy CD or owner MP3 or whatever where you you start reviewing the catechism question. My oldest son is in a very contemporary church, and I just recently wrote some with him, and he puts it, puts in the his phone, you know, with all his music's on his phone, and here we have Sandy Patty and Steve Green singing hymns. Jeff, really, and he knows every word. His mom, that's what I grew up on. I love, I love it. Those are still like, you know, in my in my heart. And so you can be playing the songs that you use in worship in your church, in the car, and then talking about, Did you just heard that song? What does it mean? Using as you walk along the way, if when you get in the car, and that your kids know when we get in the car, it's not just hangout time. We're going to be talking about, what you will find is they like the intentionality of that. They will come to expect it and even look forward to it. And then there's the lie down time, bedtime. Don't ever let them go to bed without going in their room and blessing them, laying your hands on them and blessing them, praying for them. Or maybe you'll have some other sort of every night thing that they come to expect. They will remember that forever that you came and the last word you spoke into their lives was a prayer or a word of encouragement or something that you had together learned about God that day. The the lie down and then the rise up morning time. I had, like I said, a kindergarten teacher for mom and every morning we rose up to a silly song or a poem it seemed. But it was still encouraging. How do you like coach them or instill purpose? All right, today, and you use those words. This is the, the whole idea of being intentional. I, one of the things I like to leave people with is a discussion within their congregation. Start thinking about some things you can do as a body to help do this. Like with, even if it's a mealtime devotion that you hand out to every family in your church on Sunday. It, you know, you can copy them right out of the book. I just told Nancy Guthrie that we were doing that at Westminster and she didn't say you couldn't. <laughs> but just for everybody, you know, everybody to have, we've totally read to buy the book. Or something like um, making a, a, a CD of the worship songs that you regularly use in worship, one available for every family, so the kids are learning the song. I love it when the kids are learning the songs that we learn in worship. When I sing in the choir, I see their faces light up. They kind of look at their parents like, I know this. I can participate. What all of this is doing and what God wanted the people to pass on to their children is your kids need to know that this is a way of life that you are passing on no matter what the culture around you is saying. You know, and are your kids knowing that? The other reason I'm convinced it does it, it keeps us grounded. It keeps us remembering that this is what we're here about. I always say that at Deuteronomy, it wasn't so because they had stupid kids that like 30-something times they said, tell your children, tell your children, tell your children. It's because God knew you'll forget if you're not speaking these things into someone else's life. Think orange. The Deuteronomy 6 model is right there. You do it. You fear God. You multiply in the land. It's a whole idea of sending them out. You love Him with everything. You put His words on your heart. You teach diligently on your hand, between your eyes, on the doorpost, the gate. Why? So the Lord will give you things that you know could only come from Him. He will give you cities you didn't build. Houses you did not fill, cisterns you did not dig, vineyards you did not fill. when you eat and remember from what the Lord has delivered you. It's the same principle that's given in Psalm 78 where it says, Tell these things to your children, even those yet to be born, so that they will not be like their parents, a stubborn and rebellious generation, but will put their hope in God. We need a generation in America who believes that what they have has come from the hand of God Rather than from the hand of their labor uh, that, that what they know is because of the faithfulness of God not because they study really hard and make good grades you know we need a generation that puts their hope where only our only hope is and that's the whole principle here but we have to be intentional about passing that around there it is telling God's story a testimony in Jacob that they will put their confidence in God we're using this verse to develop an entire Series of training conferences for people who do children's ministry work in the church. They're going to be called Established. He's established a testimony so that we would teach and tell to our children that they will put their hope in God. Simple as that. I don't have any other plan, so, you know, I'm sticking to it, not changing here. (laughs) Um, And are we telling our God story so that our children are seeing? Proof of His faithfulness. We talked about fellowship last night. Share your God stories, not only with your own children, what God is doing in your life, but with the the other children in the church. Find a time to tell them how it is you know God's Word is true. Uh Uh-oh. It went the wrong way. Why are these, like, disappearing? (laughs) And uh, another thing, because of what some... 78, verse 8 says, it says, you know, they won't be like their parents, stubborn and rebellious. I think one thing we have to keep saying to our children is don't be like us. Don't be like your parents in erection. Don't worry about the things we worry about. Don't be consumed with the world the way we've been consumed with the world. Don't take this long to put your hope in God and to find His purpose in your life because He has it and it's, it's all about Him. Excuse me. that's a loud call. Beginning at home, these are just things. This is not exhaustive. But as you question, you know, even to choose one, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the four steps, but service, all of these things, worship, catechism, Bible study, service, prayer. You know, there's so much about our way of life as the people of God that you can choose one thing and say, I'm going to be more intentional about catechizing my children. or I'm going to be more intentional about teaching my children to serve others uh, and and how that is going to happen. Um, More intentional about teaching them to pray. Somebody was talking with us at the break about just wanting their children to pray. Teach them the Lord's Prayer. But also, you know, when Jesus' disciples said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, um, you know, this is just one idea and you might want to use it occasionally or take some and use it here and take some and use it there. And that's the people's vision. kind of. The, he said, when you pray, say this. Yeah, when we say the Lord's Prayer, and I realized years ago with my oldest son, I didn't know how to pray for him. He was not walking with the Lord as he ought. He hadn't done any denial thing, but he was kind of like, really, Mom? The church is just too hard. I don't have time for it. And I could feel his pain. But there were a lot of other things going on in his life. A lot of unforgiveness for his father. And I remember just saying to the Lord, I don't know how to pray. And I thought about the disciples. And God gave me the Lord's Prayer just to pray for Him these things. And I wanted to tell you, as your children grow older and you struggle with their disobedience or their waywardness, Lord, make evident in their lives that You indeed are their Father. Give them a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, so they'll get their eyes off of this world and themselves. Let Your name be something that they hear regularly, that's always before them, that they cannot forget. Put Your kingdom in their hearts. Let Your kingdom come into their hearts. But You do what is best. You do Your will in them. Um, let them realize that all that they have comes from you, that you give them their daily bread and all else that they have, that they they trust you for their provision, But they make it obvious to them that you are taking care of them. Stephen's son had a terrible motorcycle wreck not long ago. We're just kind of waiting for him to realize how God saved his life. You know? And so when you pray, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Lord Jeff, forgive him. But give him a heart that can forgive. He has lots of forgiving to do. Lord, give him a heart that can forgive. Keep him from temptation. He had great struggle with temptation, with uh, pornography and some other things in his life. I, you know, always on the internet. I said, Lord, don't deliver him from the evil one who's around him and always encompassing. And uh, In the end, give him a kingdom story that glorifies you in every way. Okay, is there anything that I did not just pray for my son that he might need? Did I miss a point? No. The Lord's Prayer covers it all. Teach your children to pray it, but also take the time out to teach them in each little pocket of every little line what it is God's desire is for us as His people, and we pray that. Use these directives to write a a prayer for your child. Uh, I think as they get older, it's easier to peg each line, but it's really an encouraging way. Um, We have to eventually trust God with our children. I feel like most of parenting is is letting him pry, you know, your cold hands away from them and say, give him to me, give him to me, you know. And you're like, oh, no, no, okay, okay, no, no, you know. And I, But having adult children, I think it is the hardest thing I ever have been called to do is to trust God with my adult children. You feel like you're in control when they're young. You're really not. I mean, that you're in control. You're really not. But there's this sense of feeling that you are. But boy, once they get to be adults, you know you're not in control anymore. And you were letting go continually. We've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's hope and being, and it was a permanent marker. Think about it. Yeah. Uh, we do not have to teach them to do bad things. That was really kind of an innocent little moment, but it was months before the last, uh, that was that permanent marker was off of Ben, yeah. Um, trusting God with our children, that they don't have situation problems, but heart problems, and we've covered a lot of this. Um, we can't change their hearts, but God can. And, and the promise is that he will be a God to them. This is, he's been our God. Meanwhile, what is it that we do? What is the plan? If, you know, because it we, does it give us the right to, oh, it's all about grace and to be the free-range parents. All right, okay, we just got to wait and see what God's going to do. I gave this list to a group of, of Christian school parents, and they really liked Having, uh, there are people who like list. I know for years I do heart of the home ministry, and I get through basically the whole thing is about grace and prayer. You know, you got it. You need God's grace, and you got to pray a lot. Need, but somebody raised raise their hand and say, "Could you just give us a list of the things that you think we need to go home and do like tomorrow?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm not a list person, but I do realize. But well, when I made this list, it sort of it sets you free, but it also gives you some real encouragement on the, what parents do. What does God do? He knows your child intimately. He loves them unconditionally. And we, what are we to do? We're to listen to them and love them unconditionally. If you feel that you have a child that's very difficult to love unconditionally, ask God to give you that. Here's something I can testify to. I was in counseling after my husband was unfaithful and had left. Right? He was in the process of leaving. And, then, and my counselor looked at me one day and he said, Sue, we were going through Galatians, and it says, for the Holy Spirit waits to do miracles among you. He said, what would be a great miracle in your life right now? You know, and of course I said, I want him to change his mind and do the right thing. And he said, but not involving him, what would be a great miracle in your life? And I said, that in the midst of this, I would come to love Steve Jakes unconditionally. He said, well, let's ask for it. And we did, and he did. I can remember being angry with God when I wanted to hate Him and I couldn't. God gave me an unconditional love for this man who continues to to hurt my children, even today with what their expectations are and where He is. But when I see Him and just when I talk about Him, I love Him. What is that about? It's about the God that we have. He is love. And sometimes you have to pray for an unconditional love for a child that's really difficult to love. Um, And then watch what that does. It changes you. I'll tell you that. Sometimes that other person may not change, but it changes you. What does God do? He never leaves them or forsakes them. What do you do? When you are with them, you remember Deuteronomy 6. You remember that your presence with them can be so about God and what He is doing. What does God do? He plans and ordains all of their days before there was one of them. You know, being a Presbyterian, you got great hope in that, but every now and then it causes you to stand and go, Really, God? Really? When my youngest daughter, whose father left her when she was eight years old, has her firstborn son, the first grandchild on the other side of the family, named for the grandfather, It was a pediatrician that had waited a long time for her first grandson. And that little boy, William Thad, only lived six days. I looked at God and I said, really? You would take her firstborn son after she grew up without a father? And you would really, you know, and I was like, my childhood theology always comes back on me. I was raised a good old, you know, like, you be really good. God will bless you. And i was be like, you know, really? And I told my daughter what I was thinking, and she looked at me, she said, Mom, people's babies die every day. Why not mine? Why not William? In this, God will be glorified, and well has he been. But I remember again, looking at her rising, that's my intent as I indoctrinate the children in the next generation. We don't know what will happen in their lives. But when it does happen, we want them to say what God has ordained us and he is good and I can trust him. That's what we know. What do we do then? We allow God to have his way with them without manipulating situations. Oh my goodness. I love to manipulate. I mean, and I confess that it's a sin and I before God, he's done better, you know, with me than he probably should have as far as patience. But the word manipulate, I was sharing this in the office the other day, in the New Testament is the word for sorcery. You know how it lists all those awful sins and this words are sorcerers? It's someone who develops a path to get what they desire. Yeah. And so we don't manipulate. We trust God's ordination of the days and what He's doing. He rules and reigns over every situation that He creates and we should live out in front of them a true belief in God's perfect and sovereign will. Instead of saying that to my child, she should have seen, and I think eventually did see in me, God is good and I can trust Him. And then finally, He works powerfully within them through the power of the gospel to make all things new so we take every opportunity as a a time to speak the gospel into their lives. It's everything about Jesus. You've heard the Sunday school lesson, the teacher story about the kids come in, you know, and she said, on the way to church today, I saw this furry little animal, and he ran across the street, and he was up in the tree, and he had a nut in his mouth. What do you think that was? And they said, this little boy raised his hand, she said, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I know it was Jesus. Because every answer in Sunday school is Jesus, right? But that should be truth in our family's lives, is that ultimately it is all about him and not about us. All right. I'm going to skip over this because I promised to. Um, that's a list of resources. You have it there. Most, All of those are out on the table. But um, being intentional about teaching your children is something that we really want to leave you with. We've talked about this. I'm trying to get to the next. But here's my end. In the, in the message, which is a paraphrase of, of Scripture and, and if I was at Presbytery, I couldn't use it. But um, I love the way Gene Peterson takes Ephesians 3.20. You know, it's like, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly anything we could ever ask or think. He says this, God can do anything, you know? God can. Can parents do anything? Mm, not so much. Far more, though, than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it. Not by pushing us around, but by working within us. In other words, He doesn't come and say, Do, do, you know, just like we aren't with our children, not pushing us around, but His Spirit deeply and gently within us for His glory. He can do anything, you know. And so we pray with our children and we have great expectation and we wait. We wait on God to do something that we could never do. Um, But as we wait, we do go back to that list. Okay, are they seeing God in me? Are they hearing the gospel from me? Am I being intentional about the things that they really need to know? I must have taken out my three-point, my four-point thing. We'll get to that later. But this has always been a prayer that I've used. It's written down for you. But it, it sort of set me free at one point, but also held me accountable. That God is as I come to seek the grace I need for feeling rightly my role as a parent, I ask it in deep on my hearts the solemn thought that I can effectively teach my children only what I really teach myself and and you know to back away from that and to say, "I want my children to be great prayers, am I a great prayer? If I want my children to have sweet repentant spirits, do I have a sweet repentant spirit? You know, it goes on. I can only expect the truth that influences my own life to really influence theirs. I think with shame how much I reprove them and it's only a reflection of what they've seen in me. I confess how much there's been wanting of that spirit of childlike love and self-denial, of joyful obedience, thoughtful self-sacrifice for others, which would be the highest education. God, forgive me what is past. I think this is a great place for us to all be today. Just forgive what is past and give me grace in everything to teach myself what I want to teach my children. Make me feel deeply that, it is that I live as an obedient child with my Father in heaven and I, that I can teach my children and expect them to be obedient to me. May childlike simplicity and obedience be the atmosphere my home breathes the bond that makes parents and children one. As I think of my own slowness in learning, I mean, we're old, and you've probably heard something new in the last 24 hours. As old as we are and we're still learning, may I be very patient and gentle with my children and yet full of hope that the lessons I impart to them will have their effect. Jesus, teach me that with thy teaching I may teach my loved ones. I want to pray for us right now. Lord, it's so overwhelming. You've given us children and they're lost and disobedient and willful. And yet, they picture for us every day that we are also willful and disobedient and in need of Your work and Spirit in our life every moment, every day. Create in us a spirit that longs to learn from you so that we can show that to our children. Lord, I pray that the children that are represented in this room, uh, you will keep, keep tight, keep away from the evil one. Withhold the, the temptations of this world. But Lord, I, we also trust you. You know what is best. You are at work creating your redemptive story in every one of them. Give us strength for the task, new mercy every morning, um, and Lord, raise up in our midst young Jesus men and Jesus women who will show the world the glory of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.